Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, you're so good. You are worthy of all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. You are praiseworthy. It doesn't matter what we've gone through this week or what we're going through. Father, we just, in this moment, in this minute, we just lift you up. We lift you up above our circumstances, above our problems, above everything we have going on. And we just worship you in this moment. We say that you are our God. You are the rock of our salvation. We will abide in you. You are our steadfast hope. You are our love, our passion, and we pursue you. We thank you for who you are and what you have done. Holy Spirit, in this moment, fill this place. Spirit, speak to lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. God bless you. We're so excited that you are here. I want to say welcome this morning. If this is your first time at Southridge, we're excited that you're here. We're grateful that you would take uh, the time to be here and be part of our services. On your way in, you should have received a, uh, just from one of our greeters or ushers, a little packet that has a connect card in it. We'd love for you to, at any point in the service, to take out that card, fill it out. And at the end of the service, when we worship the Lord together with our tithes and offerings, you can drop that card in the offering basket. Or maybe you have some prayer requests. Maybe there's something you need prayer for. Maybe you want to join a life group, a ministry team. Well, you can fill out that card, and at the end of the service, just drop that in, and we can have a record, not only of your attending and being here, but also how we can better serve you. We want to be a church that's not friendly, but a church with friends. And this is how we get to know you and get connected with you. We're so glad that you're here. And next Sunday is Baptism Sunday here at Southridge. So if you have not taken the next step and gone public with your faith and been water baptized, we want to invite you back next Sunday for our baptism service. It's going to be a great Sunday. Every Sunday is, but next Sunday we love celebrating baptisms here at Southridge. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, you have a Bible, would you please open it to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and we're going to be looking at a verse. We're in a new series entitled Discipleship, and I'm really excited that we get to dive into such a deep topic as discipleship, a needed topic for us to take time and to really dive into it and look at it. Because our church, like so many churches, is great at reaching the lost and losing the found. Let me say it again. Our church, like so many churches, is great at reaching the lost and losing the found. It seems that as soon as we see somebody saved and people added to the church, you got people leaving. Not just because, oh, they're upset or they're disgruntled. Most of the time it happens because of the fact that we are wrestling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're out to take Christians down. And so we want to make sure that people are rooted and grounded in their faith. That they got a strong foundation and they know what they believe. They know why they believe it to navigate life's storms. We not only want to see people grow and mature in their faith, but we also want to make sure that we are reaching San Jose for Christ. That's what God has called us to. He's called us to reach this area. And we said last week that discipleship is vital and needs to go viral in our church. And the goal of discipleship is to help someone reach their full God-given potential. And I know potential is an overused word, somewhat cliche, but that is the goal of discipleship. That someone would reach their full God-given potential. 
That's what we want for everybody who's a part of Southridge Church. We want you to reach your full God-given potential. There's an old quote that says, many people die with a song still left inside of them. We want to make sure that we are living life to its fullest and we reach our full potential. And to this fact, Jesus gave five commands in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only one of those five commands did he call the great command. And we studied that last week in Matthew 28. It says, and Jesus spoke to them saying, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. But maybe you're thinking, okay, pastor, I got the message last week. I was here. I listened and I'm back this week. Even though you went long, pastor, and even though it was hot, I am back. Well, thank you for that. So glad that you're here. But you're saying, hey, I want to do that. But how practically do we do that? How do we make disciples? How do we really reach the world? I mean, you got us fired up about it, even stepped on our toes about it. But how do we do that? And let me just kind of break it down by illustrating it this morning using four circles. Now, I do apologize for anybody who sat on my right, your left. I'll try to tilt this so you can see it better. I'm gonna draw four circles that represent how you and I grow and this process of discipleship and what it looks like because you and I started somewhere in our Christian walk. You say, what do you mean we started somewhere? I call it exploring God. Exploring God, E-G. Somewhere in your life, either a spouse, a friend, a coworker, a church, an evangelist, a pastor, a missionary begin to talk to you about God and you begin to explore God. You begin to have a hunger and thirst to know more about your eternal soul, where it's going to spend eternity. And so that started that process. Well, from this process, something happened in your life, or we pray something would happen in your life, and that's an encounter with Jesus, where you met a man by the name of Jesus who died on the cross for your sin, who spent three days in a borrowed tomb and resurrected of his own power and calls us to a new life. And so you were exploring God. This happens to do with the fact that you were looking for fellowship, okay? And I'm going to write the word fellowship here, but that's not where you stayed, you see, you went on to not just exploring God to, but beginning in God. Your Christian walk began to grow. You say, well, how did I get from here to here? One word you got from here to here because of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and for me so that I can move from here to here. He bridges that gap. That's salvation. That's the first foundational stepping stone to help somebody understand in the discipleship process. And I just noticed it looks like a really nice smiley face right there. That's great. Man, that's awesome. I didn't notice it in first service. But it's God. It happened because of grace. God's riches at Christ's experience, uh, at Christ's expense. Last Friday, uh, my wife and I got to eat with Tad and, uh, and Todd and Agnes. We went out to dinner. And it was so fun when somebody else pays for dinner. And I did one of these. Oh, oh, I, I want to pay for dinner. And you reach real slow to your wallet. And you're like, oh, it's stuck. Oh, you're already beating me, Todd? Oh, man. You already got your card out? Well, my card stuck. Oh man, somebody else paid for dinner. Ah, I'll get you next time. Don't we love it when that kind of happens? Somebody else takes care. You see, what God did was infinitely greater than that, but that's what he did. God said, hey, I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to take your punishment and your penalty for sin, and he's going to die on the cross, but it's going to happen because of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. 
It's the gift of God. It was grace that got you from exploring God to beginning in God. But that, this, it started with fellowship, but then this is about a relationship. You see, God, unlike any other deity out there, wants a relationship. Buddha doesn't want a relationship. Muhammad doesn't want a relationship. Joseph Smith doesn't want a relationship. Harry Christian doesn't want a relationship. None of those are about a relationship, but God said, I want a relationship with my creation. How powerful is that? But that's not where you stay. This is not enough. We don't just stay in beginning in God. He wants us to grow. He wants us to develop. What's the next phase? Is we want to get closer to God. CG, closer to God. You say, okay, how does that happen? How do I move from beginning in God to get closer to God? The second part is God's word. Understanding that God's word is an authority in my life. Today, we live in a culture where the church, even sadly, has taken this book, the Bible, watered it down and said, it's a good book. It's good for life, good examples, good things, but it's not an authority in my life. No, no, my friend. God's word is our authority as Christians. It is our rule for faith and practice. We have preachers today that'll say the Old Testament is irrelevant. There's only parts of the New Testament. They'll only preach parts of it, not the whole thing. And it's hard because this book will have things that contradict my life. And what do I do when this book contradicts my life? Do I change the book or do I change my life? And so if you're going to grow and get closer to God, you get in God's word. I want to be close to Jane. I want to have a strong marriage. So I get around her. I learn how does she like her coffee? How does she like her breakfast? How does she like her house? How does she like her children to be raised? How does she like her husband to behave? And I pick up on those things by spending time with her. You say, how do I get closer to God? Get in this book. Make it a habit. The word said this. David the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. That was his desire. He took this word. Thy word have I hid in my heart. He said in Psalms 1, he said, meditate in this book day and night and you will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season and its leaf shall not wither. God said, when you're planted in the word, there's no dryness to you. You, you ever met a, a dry, dead Christian? Nothing worse, nothing more annoying than a dry, dead Christian. They're not getting saturated by the word. Funny story this week, we were, you know, bath time with little ones is always a chore, right? Any parents, can you testify this morning that when your little kids were little, getting them to take a bath or a shower, some of your spouses pointed at your spouse, getting them to take a shower, that's hard. We will pray for you. But this week, my son Austin, he is so quick, so clever. So we were talking about, hey, time to go get a shower. He got back from Taekwondo. Come on, go take a shower. And he said, I already cleansed my soul in the word. I was like, what in the world? You know, that's literally what he told us. He said, but I cleansed my soul in the word. I'm good. I was like, no, no, you smell. Your soul is clean, but your body's dirty. Go up and take a shower. And that's what we need to do though. We need to take Austin's advice and when it cleans our soul in the word. Because why? It'll guard against dryness. It'll guard against those things. But that's not where we stop. But that started fellowship, relationship. This one right here, close to God, that is discipleship. That's where God wants us, right there, to keep growing. But it doesn't stop there. That's not where we want to stop. And so many times people want to emphasize grace. I believe grace, I love grace, but we don't just stay in grace. Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid is what the Apostle Paul stayed, said. But so many times we, we will look at somebody and we'll say, oh, show them grace. They're living in sin. They're acting like the devil. Just show them grace. My friend, we've got to get beyond grace. Now, we never get over grace. 
But in your spiritual development, you need to take ownership for your spiritual growth and development. We don't stay in grace. My daughter's about to turn 12 years old. When she was first born, bottles, diapers, and making messes was to be expected. She's now almost 12 years old. Diapers are not allowed. Bottles are not allowed anymore. She needs to grow out of this, oh, making excuses. And churches sometimes can hold people trapped here. You should not be a Christian. If you've been saved for any length of time, you should not just say, oh, just forgive me, just, just grace, just show me more grace. Yes, we will show you grace, but we have an expectation for you to grow. It would be a problem. You would, look at, you would look at Megan if she was still wearing diapers, still drinking out of a bottle, still sucking her thumb, even though she's about to turn 12, and you would tell me, you would say, I think she's developmentally delayed. How many Christians are developmentally delayed? They don't want to grow. They don't want to. What's the next process right here? The next one right here. It is a God-centered life. It's God-centered. You say, how do I get to a God-centered life? I want to have a God-centered life. It happens by giving. You say, oh, I knew it. It's the giving giving. There used to be an old TV show with the Gilligan's Island character back in the day, black and white. And he would say, work. Anybody remember that show? Yeah. Work. Some of you are like, give. Oh, no, no, no. We don't say the G word in our house. Understand this is not just financially. This is of ourselves. The greatest thing you can give is yourself. Don't think it's all about money when it comes to giving. God wants you and I to give ourselves. And that's how we have a God-centered life because for God so loved the world that he gave. You say, I want to grow in my discipleship. I want to grow in my depth. This is the process. It starts in grace. We get a hold of God's word as our authority. Then we start giving ourselves. And this right here, this God-centered life, this means we're living under his lordship. That's lordship. That means he is the authority for our life. That means... I do what God wants me to do. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I'm living under his lordship. Sadly, many Christians don't want to live under lordship. We would rather abandon ship. That's where we are. We don't want to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't want him as our full authority. Yeah, he's God. He's our creator. He's our savior. He's our sustainer. And whenever we're in a bad place, then we'll come to him. But to, to live a life under the lordship of Jesus Christ? No, nah, I don't want that. And that's where we struggle. But God wants us to move us beyond all that. And that process that we're going to focus on is right here. And that's the process of discipleship where we grow. God wants you. It's God's will for his people to be growing and maturing and getting closer to him. So how do I disciple? How do I make disciples? I'm so glad you asked. Turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 1. One verse, a powerful verse, but I would like us to read it together. May we? All right, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So good. Amazing. You did it so well. I want to do it one more time. Ready? Here we go. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. What a great verse. A verse to memorize. You say, what does discipleship look like? I need a picture. One time my wife sent me to the grocery store and she was asking for pine nuts. I said, you're fooling me. I'm not going to the grocery store and going to ask the checkout person, where are the pine nuts? I didn't even think that was a real thing. And then I go there and Jane sent me a picture of pine nuts. Yes, Lucky's carries pine nuts. So I went and bought some pine nuts, but I needed a picture. You see, Paul knew you and I need a picture of discipleship. So he gives us a picture. He says, you want to know the picture of discipleship? Imitate me. He says, I'm the picture of discipleship. Imitate me. 
Do what I do. Say what I say. Do what I do. Go where I go. Eat what I eat. Uh, drink what I drink. Think how I think. Imitate me. It's mathetes is the Greek word. It means to imitate, to watch. And understand, you can't imitate without an image. You cannot imitate without an image. So Apostle Paul got it. And he says, hey, imitate me. You want to know what discipleship looks like? You do what I do. Do what I do. That was the calling. We need a picture this morning of what discipleship looks like. Because he, Paul understood something. You cannot be a disciple maker without being a disciple. You see, you have to first say, I'm going to follow God. I want to get close to God. And when I get close to God, I can help others get close to God. So we start here. We say, I'm going to get close to God. Maybe your spouse doesn't want to get close to God. You say, I'm going to get close to God. You say, maybe nobody in your family wants to get close to God. You say, as for me and my house, I will get close to God. Maybe nobody at your work wants to get close to God. But you make the decision that you will pursue God. That needs to be our driving focus. needs to be our driving passion. See, the decision to be a disciple is not a once in a while, a once a week decision. And that's what a lot of people like to do. Uh, being a disciple, that's just a once in a while. That's if there's a revival at church, or I'm really fired up, or I'm really feeling the spirit, then I could be a disciple. No, no, no. Being a disciple is not a once in a while. It's a once and for all decision. It's a one and done. That's what God is calling us to. But we've forgotten that we're, we're, we're called to that lordship. That it's a once and for all decision. We would rather pick and choose when we follow God, when we feel like it. But here, Apostle Paul, he's saying, imitate me as also I imitate Christ. Wow, what an example. You say, what is Paul really saying? Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, I imitate Christ so well that people would look at Paul and be like, you ever seen somebody? Now it's just really hard when people wear masks. I think I know them, but they got masks. So I'm like, oh, I can't really tell. And they pull down the mask. You're like, oh, I know you. But Paul is giving this analogy. Here's what he's saying, church. He's saying, people should look at Paul and be like, Jesus? Jesus? Is that you? You kind of look like Jesus. You kind of act like Jesus. You know, the more and more you're around my siblings, y'all kind of will realize they're related. Our mannerisms are kind of the same. The things that we do, our tics, our weird little idiosyncrasies, it's all reminiscent of our parents because we've been imitating them our whole lives, so now we kind of take on those characteristics. You see, when we imitate Christ, we begin to look more and more like Christ. People should look at, look at you and say, wow, you really look like Jesus. In the early 90s, there was a margarine commercial. Maybe you remember it for all of you child, children of the 90s, or you grew up in the 90s, a great commercial. And uh, they were trying to promote margarine. And uh, they would use a model at the time who was really popular in the 90s. His name was Fabio. And Fabio had great hair. And Fabio had chiseled abs. And Fabio just ate ice cubes for lunch. That they, I mean, he was just in great condition, right? And so what they would do is they would show this, this picture of this lady spreading this butter on this bread, and then Fabio would show up, and she would hand it to Fabio. Fabio would take a bite, and he would say, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> and that was the commercial. I can't believe it's not butter. And that was Fabio, right? 
He, he was saying, man, it, it looks like butter. It tastes like butter. It's almost like this really butter. I can't believe it's not butter. You see, what God is trying to say is not that you look and taste like butter. He's trying to say, I can't believe you're not Jesus because you look like Jesus. You act like Jesus. You talk like Jesus. Everything about you reminds me of Jesus. When you go to the store, you're so nice and so friendly. The joy that you have, it reminds me of Jesus. People should look at Southridge and be like, man, everybody looks like Jesus there. Amen? Amen. Amen. That is the goal of discipleship. That's why the Apostle Paul said, imitate me, mathetes, do what I do. You want to know the picture of discipleship? It's me. And so many times that's where the church struggles. Because we know what that means. You see, Paul is saying, imitate me, but it's not really imitating him, is it? He's saying, imitate the one who's imitating Christ. That's what he's saying. Imitate the one who's imitating Christ. That means Paul's lifestyle was different. We're attracted to style today, aren't we? Everything's based on style. They were telling me when I sold my home that I should stage it to make it look more stylish. I said, what's wrong with my house? You don't like my style? A little too dated? My wife was telling me, you need to go buy some new clothes. I said, what do you mean? You don't like my clothes? You don't like my style? People today are attracted to style more than lifestyle. We like things that don't have any substance. And so God is trying to tell us that you are to be a picture of discipleship, but that means it's going to affect your lifestyle. And Paul said, I have no problem with that because I'm living under the lordship of Jesus. That means I'm subservient to his desires, whims, and wants. I'm subservient to Christ. It's no problem that he asked me to think a certain way. It asked me to do a certain thing. It means I don't eat some things. It means I don't go some places. It means I don't look at some things. It means I don't talk about some things. It means there's some things I do and some things I don't do because I'm living under the lordship of Jesus Christ because I am a disciple and the church has a problem with that today and let's be honest the church does not want to change our lifestyle because we just come to church to check a box not to change a life we're box checkers I went to church I'm good right made the spouse happy made the wife happy made the kids happy made the pastor happy I'm just checking off some things. I just show up. I just do my duty and I'm done. But that's not imitating Christ. Christ never just checked a box. Christ went above and beyond. As a matter of fact, it was Christ who said, if the soldier asked you to go a mile, go with him twain. Two, if someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Jesus always said, we do more. We go farther. We serve. That was the example that Christ gave. And the church today has lost the lifestyle of Christianity. And we wonder why we have no power in our communities. We wonder why so many people are okay with the, the church. Just, nah, you guys are almost irrelevant. We no longer want to imitate Christ. We would rather just imitate our models. We'd rather just look to them. And that just seems easy. Don't ask me to change, pastor. Don't ask me to do anything different. But imitating Christ means I'm following him. I'm looking to him. And you can only be a good leader if you're a good follower. Paul says, I'm a good leader. I can lead you because I'm a good follower. How many Christians today are saying, I'm a good follower of Jesus Christ. I will imitate him. So therefore, I'm a good leader. My son, goes to, Cain, goes to preschool. 
He's about to graduate in two weeks from preschool and go on to kindergarten. But he'll come home and he'll tell me, so daddy, today I was the line leader. That's a big deal in preschool to be the line leader. I mean, you get to be at the front of the line and you get to hold the rope. The rope starts with you. It's an important job because wherever you go with that rope, there's all these little kids behind and they got to hold the rope. And then there's the line leader and then there's what they call the caboose. Nobody wants to be the caboose. You want to be the line leader, not the caboose. And all the other kids, you just stand there and they pick their nose and they just kind of hold the rope. I'm not the leader. I'm not even the caboose. And my son Cain will say, today I was the line leader, daddy. I was the line leader. I got to lead. But he actually didn't lead, did he? Who's in front of the line leader? The teacher. And it was Cain's job when he's the line leader, whoever's the line leader, to actually not be a good leader, but to be a good follower. The church has lost sight of being a good follower. We're all wanting to be leaders. We want to, I'm going to be a leader in my home, a leader in my family. I'm just a good leader. I'm financially a good leader. I'm this leader. And it's like, wait a minute, who are you following? Because every good leader is a good follower. And we follow Christ. We imitate Christ. We're following him. And the apostle Paul is saying, I'm a good leader because I'm simply a good follower. And the church has to get back to we follow Christ. I follow Christ not just on Sunday, but on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And I follow him wherever he asks of me. I do it because I'm living under his lordship. And until the church gets that, we will not reach this world, church. We will not make a difference. It starts with your lifestyle. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to offend you, and I hope this offends you. This is why I'm kind of against discipleship curriculum. You say, why? Because curriculum circumnavigates your character. It's real easy to get a book, and I'm going to disciple somebody. We're going to go through this book the next 40 days. And guess what? You need to read the Bible. I don't read my Bible, but you need to. Oh, it says pray. You need to pray. I don't pray, but you're going to pray. It says serve. I don't really serve, but you need to serve. It's real easy to open up a book and say, do this, do that, this. But we don't do it ourselves. And we can circumnavigate our own character instead of saying, wait a minute. No, you can't give what you don't have and you can't take people where you have not been. But you will give people what you do have and you will take them where you have been. So if you've been living for the devil all week, guess where you're going to take that person on Sunday? To the devil. It's, that's what's going to happen. And yet the church simply would rather, we say, I'm sold out to God. But we certainly ran out our soul to the devil during the week, don't we? Yeah, we sell out for God on Sunday, but we rent out to the devil on Tuesday. And we've got to get back to saying, God, I'm going to live under your lordship and I'm going to become subservient. That is the picture. And understand, Paul is trying to drive this message that God uses men, not method. God uses people, not principles. And we get so focused that God just, oh man, pastor, you need to do this and you need to live this so everybody will become disciples. No, what if you changed your lifestyle? What would happen? I've got to go quickly. You see, many times we're not willing to go public with our private conversation. And why is that? Because our lifestyle isn't one we would be proud of. Let me ask you a question. If I came to you and I said, I want to grow spiritually. I want to get closer to God. And I want to move from close to God to God-centered. So I want to hang around you the next seven days, 24 hours a week. I'm going to eat what you eat. I'm going to watch what you watch. I'm going to surf what you surf. I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to say what you say. I'm going to think what you think. I'm going to dress what you dress. I'm going to be with whoever you are with. I'm going to follow you. And man, will you take me from here to here? 
And that's the question you need to ask. Let me go to the next step. Some of you are more comfortable taking Jesus to place you would not take me. You're more comfortable surfing some things on the internet with Jesus than you are with the pastor. You're more comfortable with associating with things and doing things with Jesus than the pastor because the Bible says that Jesus never leaves you nor forsakes you. Correct? Yeah. So you're fine with Jesus being right there with you as you're doing that activity? But if the pastor would be there, you'd be like, oh, no, no, we don't do that. Oh, we don't talk like that. Oh, we don't say that. I come over to people's house. I'm not there to judge, but people say things. They drop things, and, then, and you're like, oh. And they say, oh, that's not how we talk in our house. Oh, it's not? Actually, it is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it came out. It was there. How did it get there? Now, this isn't to blast you. I'm not into behavior modification, but understand my beliefs inform my behavior. My belief that I want to get God-centered informs my behavior. My belief is that God is the Lord of my life. Therefore, the Lord of my life dictates my behavior. Don't wait for the pastor to help you with your behavior. Don't wait for the life group leader, the discipleship class, growth tracks, or the ministry team to help you with your behavior. How about you say, I'm living under the Lordship of Jesus. Therefore, my behavior will change and the world will be benefited by it. You're telling me the world would not be benefited by you dealing with your anger problem? Yes, the world would be better. You're telling me the world wouldn't be better because we get a hold of this substance abuse? One of my childhood friends died this week from an overdose. He was 39 years old. They found him in the San Joaquin River. They don't even know how long he was there. They ruled out foul play. But ever since high school, he's always struggled with substance abuse. I told my brothers, I said, hey, you know so-and-so passed away? They said, yeah. Isn't it sad that high school was the best time of his life? Because the last 20 years, he's been living on the streets homeless in Fresno. Never could deal with substance abuse. Never could get a hold of it. Where was the church to show him a lifestyle of victory, a lifestyle of overcoming? Because I, I think you're like me and we want to be comfortable. We don't want to change for God. We want God to fit in our box, our paradigm, and we check that off. So God, as long as you work within this little time frame, Sundays from 11 to 12, as long as you do everything, God, you want to do in that little hour time frame, we're good. You ask me to throw a couple bucks on the plate, we're good. But to change my lifestyle, to love the lost, to bless those that curse me, to go with them an extra mile who use me, to, to forgive, to love, to serve, you're asking me too much. So Paul understands we need a picture, but i got to move fast. He also knew that we need more than just a picture. Remember the books called the Paint by Number books? And it has an image of an, of, of an animal or a scenery. And if you will look at the number, it has a corresponding color. And if you just simply will use that color with that number when you're finished, it'll look beautiful. It's a paint by numbers. Anybody here will look like an amazing artist if we have a paint by numbers. Paul gives us a paint by numbers here. He says, hey, there is simply the picture of discipleship. Then he gives us a pattern. The pattern is imitating Christ. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You see, discipleship is not sit still while I instill. A lot of people want to come to church and, all right, pastor, fix my husband, pastor, fix my children, pastor, do this, get them in this, get them in the life group, this. Instead of understanding that 
The pattern of discipleship is not sit still while we instill. You see, preaching is about listening. You're doing a great job of listening. Nobody's passed out. Nobody's just given up, laid down, closed their eyes and snoring. Thank you very much for that. You are engaged. You're listening. You're taking notes because you understand note takers are history makers. And so you are engaged. You got your Bible or your tablet or your phone open. And you're focused. But understand this morning that when it comes to this idea of saying preaching and listening, that's about listening. A disciple maker says, follow me. That involves engaging. That involves something else. You see, the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It is the present active tense, meaning Paul is saying, I continually imitate Christ. I'm always imitating him. Everything he does, everything he thinks, everything he says, I'm trying to constantly live under his lordship. I'm imitating Christ. It's a pattern that you and I are to follow. There was a university professor in Southern California, and he said to his students, he said, this class is now 15 weeks long. Every week for the next 15 weeks, we're going to cover one chapter. At the end of 15 weeks, you're going to have a final. Your homework each week is to take what you learned in that chapter, find one person, and teach that material to that person that you've learned. At the end of 15 weeks, you're going to take that person, and that person is going to take your final, and whatever grade they get on the final will be your grade. All the students looked at the teacher. Are you kidding me? That, my friend, is discipleship. What if Jesus came to you and said, hey, everything I've taught you over the last 10 years, years walk with Christ, 15 years, 20 years that you've been living for Christ. What if you had to teach it to somebody else? What would they know? What would they be able to put down on the test? Would they say, well, I believe in grace. I love grace. Do you know anything else about God? No, I just like grace because I've only been saved. I don't know anything else. Well, what do you know about spiritual disciplines? What do you know about his word? What do you know about basic Bible doctrines? What does your theology say? How are you grounded? What is, what is out there to get you? What do you know about the scripture? They said, no, let's just talk about grace. That's why the church today is a mile wide and an inch deep. We have no depth because we don't understand that we are called to make disciples, which if I make disciples, understand that means I have to be a disciple of Jesus myself. See, we live in a world that says, follow the leader. Paul flips that concept on his head and says, don't follow the leader, follow the follower. You see, Paul was a great follower. He said, I'm a good follower, therefore follow me. Our culture is wrapped up in following the leader. How about you go find somebody who's a good follower and say, I'm going to follow you because I see that you have a good home. I like the way your marriage works. I like the way your parenting works. I like the way you study the Bible. I like the way you approach scripture. I like the way you pray. I like the way you deal with spiritual matters. I want to get around you because I want some of that to rub off on me. I want some of that. I want to be better. I want to be changed. And so we get around that and we say it's not following the leader. It's following the follower. So who in your sphere is following Christ? Go follow them. You see, Paul, he understood this. Our problem is we say, you know what? But this, ah, that that means I I got to change some things because people are going to be following me. People are going to be seeing part of my life. And that's the point. You see, discipleship has gotten institutional when Jesus said it's actually relational. You see, the church has gotten institutional and we've reached out that it's relational. That's why we love classes. 
institutionalize it. There's a layer between me and that person. I don't really have to be a good Christian. And that's the problem. We've got people leading people in classes, in life groups, and in ministry. And they're what Matthew 7 says. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, done many mighty miracles? And I will say unto them, depart from me, for I never knew you. How sad is that? That there are people that they think they're going to heaven, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. And they were leading other people to hell as well. We've got to check ourselves and do a spiritual inventory and say, God, am I following you? Because I don't just want to begin. I don't just want to be close. I want to be centered in this thing. I want to have and, and be living under the Lord. I want people to look at me and be like, Jesus, Jesus, is that you? Is that you in the plaid denim shirt? Yeah, is that you? Hey, is that you in the skinny jeans? Hey, is that you at that office? Hey, Jesus, you showed up this week. You were there at the grocery store. I was having a bad day and Jesus showed up. Jesus said, hello, how are you doing? Can I pray for you and can I invite you to my church? Hey, Jesus showed up this week when I went to get my coffee at the, in my favorite coffee shop. Jesus showed up and I was having a terrible time with my divorce. But then that person, I know their name's not Jesus, but man, they look like Jesus. See, that's where the church will radically affect people. Who wouldn't want to go to a church filled with people that look like Jesus, act like Jesus, look like Jesus, loving like Jesus, serving like Jesus, couldn't wait to see you, didn't care what had happened. They know how to show you grace, but they know you're growing and they know that, man, they're just going to keep giving and serving. They're living under that Lordship. That would be a great church to go to. And that's what Southridge needs to be. It needs to be a place where people are living under that Lordship. Amen. Amen. But understand this. Making disciples will make me. Paul knew it. Paul knew. Man, if I'm making disciples, this is going to help make me. You know, every time I pull out uh, the Bible to prepare a message, I always receive the biggest blessing. I always have. When you start discipling somebody, you start pouring out, you're going to get the blessing. You say, I don't know very much. Guys, I'm my late 30s. I don't know everything. I've only been pastoring eight years. Before that, I was in ministry another seven years. I've gone to seminary. I, I've learned a few things, but I don't know everything there is to know. But I know that there's God and Google, and we can figure it out with those two. That God and Google, we can get things done. We can get some answers, and you can do that too. You can teach somebody that, hey, let's get in the Word of God. There's the answers for everything. That God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness is what His Word says. So let's just read the red and do what it said. Let's start there. Let's just start where we're at, and this will make me. So I'm going to go find somebody and say, hey, you want to learn about Jesus? I want to learn about him too. Let's do it together. And go find somebody in your neighborhood. Go find somebody at your work. Start talking about Jesus, and it's like a tuning fork. You'll just attract people around you. It's amazing when people ask me what they do, and I tell them I'm a pastor. All of a sudden, they just tell me. They just open up that they're a Christian, or they go to church. It's exciting. Just start talking about Jesus. Tell somebody, God bless you. I was at the store and buying my dog some dog food. And I simply said, God bless you. And the guy looked at me and said, how long you been reading the word? And I said, all my life. And he said, amen. Man, we gave each other a hug and a fist bump. It was like, oh, life's tough. But man, it was good to meet you. I'm thankful for you. And we need that. Our community needs that. But here's what's powerful. You see, Paul, he's not afraid or embarrassed that you would follow him. 
there's a famous commercial by Charles Barkley. He came out and he said, I am not your role model. We would agree with that. The only problem is I know a lot of Christians say, I don't want to be a role model. And it's not because we don't want people following us. We actually like the attention. It's that it means we got to change. We got to change. You know, there's little things in my life that I don't think are sins, but I don't think I need to be doing it. You know, the Bible says that the abundance of the heart of the mouth speaks, so we shouldn't say certain things, but that's not why I don't say bad words. I just want to reflect Christ with what I say, with what I take into my body, with what I look at, with what I think about, with where I go. You know, we've been focused on South San Jose for so many years now. I'm running into a point where I start running into people. I'll be with some people and the cashier, the person there, they'll say, oh, I know you. Hey, pastor. Because I've been focused on one area because I want to pastor this area, this neighborhood. I want to know people. Man, I go in there and they I say, hey, I've been to your church. All of a sudden, I'll look at my kids and be like, shape up, straighten up. Be on your best behavior. People are watching. Hey, people are always watching. They're wanting to know, is Christianity real? The atheist is looking, is Christianity real? The skeptic, is it real? They're exploring. We're the only Jesus they're going to see. We're the only Bible they're ever going to read. Our lifestyle should be different. And can't we do it? Can't we change our lifestyle to see somebody else's life changed? You see, Paul, he, he didn't just stop at, hey, it's transformational. He gave us some possibilities. He said, I'm going to give you a picture. I'm going to give you a pattern. But here's what's possible when you follow me. You see, Paul, he did something that Jesus did. We said, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul literally said, follow me. That's the word Im imitate. The imitation is an invitation. It's an invitation built in the text. He's saying, follow me. Who else said follow me? Jesus did. Paul's inviting you and I on this same journey to imitate Christ. You see, the job of evangelism isn't done if they are not a disciple. And the job of a disciple isn't done unless he's discipled someone. Genesis said everything reproduced after its kind. Everything does. I rode my horse yesterday. My horse is not going to give birth to a cow. Plus, my horse is a male and not a female. And I don't think it got messed up in the transgender stuff. So I think, I, I think it's fine. I have a dog. My dog's not going to give birth to a cat. It's not going to happen. Because everything reproduces after its kind. Anything that's alive reproduces after its kind. But Christians are to reproduce other Christians. That's how the world is one. Why is it that everything in the natural order obeys that? Except for Christians. Except for us taking the gospel everywhere. See, unless the evangelized are becoming evangelists, our evangelism isn't going full circle. Church is not the end all. Paul knew this. So Paul, he got somebody that he was going to disciple. And he writes to him a letter. Paul met this man in Lystra. 
His name is Timothy, young Timothy. And he writes two letters in the New Testament to him, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. At the end of Paul's ministry, he writes 2 Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 3, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Hey, that's where you started. You started in grace. But he doesn't stop there. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. And what does the last part of the verse say? We'll teach others also. Here's Paul. I'm going to write some stick figures. Here's Paul. And he says, I'm going to disciple somebody, so I'm going to go find somebody to disciple. And he finds Timothy. And he tells Timothy, it's all about discipleship. So then he tells Timothy, the things that you've heard from me, lifestyle, my walk, my talk, everything you've seen and heard in me. Hey, you do that. But then he said this. He said, commit that. Give that. Pass that on. What you've gotten, don't hoard it. Man, we are spiritual hoarders, aren't we? Some of you got more stuff in your spiritual closet than you know what to do with it. Stop the spiritual hoarding. That's a good message. We'll preach that another time. But he says, commit that to faithful men. Did he say man or men? Help me out, church. Talk back. Men or men? Men. Help me out with English. Is that singular or plural? Thank you. That's more than one, right? So he said this. Faithful men. He said not just any kind of men, faithful men. Why did he say faithful men? Because he wanted men that will reproduce. You see where it started? It started with one who reached another one who reached more. But it didn't stop there. What does the rest of the verse say? Faithful men. And what are these faithful men going to do? Oh, man, you guys are smart. Love this church. So what does that mean? That means it just kept going. You see, it just keeps going, church. That's how San Jose is one. It's because it just keeps going. When we just reach one, it's never just one. They reach another one and another one and another one. And San Jose can be transformed because we get discipleship and we're living under his lordship. And all of a sudden the world is changing. San Jose is changing. Your community is changing. Your family is changing. You are changing because discipleship, making disciples makes me. It changes me from the inside out because I'm imitating Christ. I'm imitating him and I want to be more like him and I love what he loves and I go where he goes and I do what he does and I'm not perfect but God is helping me to reproduce myself and that's where that process takes off now church we all agree with this amen when you say amen that means I agree that's what it means we all agree that discipleship is in the Bible it is commanded in Scripture Scripture is filled with it we see it we see the picture we see the pattern we see the possibilities we see it. We agree with it. The problem is not that what we agree with. The problem in the church today is what we apply, not what we agree. You see, information without application hinders transformation. Let me say it again. Information without application hinders transformation. You and I will never see San Jose transform and this is what we're called to unless we apply this 
I said, I'm going to go find somebody. I'm going to find a Timothy. I'm going to pour everything I've got into that person. You know, our church does evangelism well. We've seen over 52 people saved already this year. 52, that's amazing. Some of them are here. Some of them, that seed's been snatched. We've seen 14 of them baptized. That's exciting. But our work's not done. But that's great for our church to be about evangelism. And let's just say we focus on evangelism. We say, hey, we're going to reach one person every day. That would be 365 new souls in the kingdom. That's awesome. And let's say we do that for the next 16 years in a row. That would be 5,840 souls added to the kingdom over the next 16 years. That's great. That's exciting. But if we instead say, wait a minute, I'm going to focus on evangelism not evangelism. I'm going to focus on discipleship. I'm going to disciple two people, not 365. I'm going to look for two people and I'm going to spend this next year with two people. And then I'm going to pour myself into those people. I'm going to imitate Christ. I'm going to tell them, imitate me. And I'm going to tell them everything I've got. And I'm going to pour into them scripture and I'm going to help them with their life and with their work ethic and with their character and with their mindset and with their walk with God. And I'm just going to pour in everything I know. I'm going to do that over the next year. And man, those two get it. And so the next year you do four. Then the next year you do eight. And then 16. And then you're up to 34. And then you're up to 68. And then you're up to hundreds. And then it keeps going and going and going. At the end of the 16 years, the same 16 years, you will have reached 65,536 people. Powerful. So which is more important? Are we going to evangelize 5,840? We're going to say, no, we're going to go after disciples. 65,000. Church, I think the answer is clear, isn't it? What we need to be about. You see, here's the thing. A disciple doesn't give up on evangelism. A disciple still evangelizes. That's part of following God. We're telling people about how he changed us. It's one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. And that's what we're called to. And that's what our church is all about. And so that's what we're pursuing. And while I've blasted curriculums, we will be starting a curriculum and we will be getting people in a class. But I want us to know that it's not about the class. It's not about the curriculum. It's all about our character. And our character needs to be Christ-like. We need to live under this. It needs to. But folks, this is the job of the church right here. We need to multiply. If we don't, then we are in direct obedience, disobedience to what God has called us to. So are we following the leader or are we following the follower? Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your word is clear. You lay out the challenge before us. God, you, you tell us exactly how to do it. You give us the picture. You give us a pattern to follow. And then you even share with us what is possible when we follow it. Giving us hope that this is the right path forward. God, we are called to San Jose to not just make a difference, but man, make a dent. So God, as we are here with everything we've got left inside of us, let us transform San Jose for Christ. Let us reach the thousands of people that are here. Let them see us. Let us see them one for you. 
Lord, as we build buildings, as we build schools, and as we reach people, God, as we grow and minister, God, may we never neglect discipleship. With everybody standing, with heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning you say, I've, I've given my life to Christ, but God is calling me to change some things in my lifestyle that are not imitating Christ. And I'm called to imitate Christ. But pastor, please pray for me because there are some things in my life that are not from Christ. And I'm called to imitate Him. So pastor, during this invitation, with nobody looking around, would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand, I can pray for you. Oh, amen. Oh, amen. God bless you. Put your hands down. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty, your humility. You know, it is only as we admit that we can actually overcome it. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, I don't know Christ my Savior. I want to receive Him. I've been exploring God, but now I want to begin in God. I want to, I want to make that transition through grace. I want to receive Christ my Savior. Is that you this morning? You still have your hands? Say, I want to be saved. Oh, amen. I see that hand. God bless you. Amen. Oh, God bless you. Let's pray right now. I'm going to pray for those that raise their hand. They say, I want to give my life to Christ. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, you see the hands and the hearts represented in this room. God, there were those that said there's some things in their lifestyle that need to change. And so, Father, may you put the power of the Holy Spirit to enable them to overcome these. I believe every person that raised their hand wants to change, will change, but lacks the willpower to change. So God, would you put some super on our natural so that we can change this week? And Father, when we are tempted, tempted to sin, when we are tempted to rebel and to go against this decision that we've made today, may your Holy Spirit put the stop sign in front of our face and may it lead us to the point of decision to say no to temptation. Your word says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. May you give each and every person the power to resist Satan's temptations this week. May you help them to overcome in Jesus' name. Do you believe that, my friend? Say amen if you believe that. Amen. Then the power of the Holy Spirit is there with you. He will help you this week. Now we'll pray for the second group. You raise your hand. You said, yes, I want to see Christ as my Savior. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pray out loud. You pray silently. Heavenly Father, right now I repent of my sin. I want to accept you into my heart. I want to receive that grace that is freely given, that cost your son his life, so that I might have eternal life. But I don't want to just stay in the grace. I don't want to just begin in God. I want to grow in God. So help me, Father, to take your word, plant it deep in my heart, so that I can be a mature follower of you, so that I can help others follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Did you pray that prayer? Say amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Let's say standing. Let's sing and worship another song before the ushers come. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again and we'll catch you on the next one.